you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ, Bucky, back together. Buck, by the looks of things, where are we? Jacksonville? Where are we at right now? Yeah, we are in Jacksonville. I had a chance to watch the Jaguars practice first day of OTA. So down here for that. Didn't have a few production meetings for uh, the preseason TV games. Nice, man. Looking forward to hearing more yeah. about that as we get uh, into the summer. We've got a lot of fun content uh, scheduled, by the way, as we get deeper into the summer and head towards the season. We have a chance to kind of uh, stretch our legs a little bit, be creative, do some fun stuff. So I hope you guys will continue to hang with us. As we get to the summer, uh, I would like to do something we don't do often on here, which is encourage you. If you get on Apple Podcasts, get a chance to drop us a, a review and a little write up on there. We appreciate we, those. We don't we don't sure often would. ask for it, Buck. I feel like we're I feel like this we time, should do many one. It's, yeah, it's every now time. and then we like to lob that yes. out there. We're we're closing in. I think when we get to the fall, we're gonna get to the thousandth episode. So hopefully a little big Amazing. celebration. I know a lot of you guys have been with us from the jump, so we appreciate you guys so much. I think you're going to really dig this episode today because we've got one of our good friends, a guy Bucky and I have both known for probably 20-plus years, uh, yes. David Shaw, who was uh, coming off a very successful run there at Stanford. He is now a free agent. He's going to be doing some media work this year. He's going to be hanging with the family. Um, and then he's going to uh, look to the future, which he's going to get into a little bit during our conversation. Is that college ball? Is that in the NFL uh, future for him? Well, he's going to let you know. It's a it's a really fun, wide ranging conversation. But here's our chat with David Shaw. All right, Buck. Well, here he is, uh, Coach Shaw. It's it's awesome to be with you once again, man. It's great to see you. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, especially with you guys, man. These are, you're my guys. You know, I haven't seen you guys in a while. It's good to get to. The, to catch up and do this, even if it's in front of other people. Well, there's a lot of stuff I'm looking forward to uh, to talking with you about today. There's so much ground we can cover, but I want to start first of all with uh, just tell us what you've been up to, man. Uh, I know you did some some awesome work for us on the draft coverage, but what's it looked like for you the last few months? Uh, it's been great. Uh, my my two sons right now, one's a high school senior, another one's in seventh grade. They're doing a lot of tracks. I'm hitting all the track meets, and you know, as a football coach, you're always looking at your schedule and your kid's schedule and zipping back and forth. And now I can with complete freedom. I can do that. My daughter's home right now. She's going to start school in the fall. 
So we've had a chance to do a lot of things together too. So this has been a great time for family and sports and, and do some stuff with the NFL network, which was awesome. Um, and uh, now just looking forward to the fall and see some UCLA football games and uh, spend some time with my family and hopefully prepare for that next chapter. Uh, real you quick know, though, real quick though, you got to tell us why, you know, it's not just because Chip's your guy and you guys are buddies going back a long way. You got another reason to go watch some UCLA football this fall. Yeah. My son, uh, my son committed to UCLA um, Carter. So he's going to play football there and I'm excited to go down there and watch some games. And uh, you know, I, I have to be careful though. Cause right. He's like, dad, this isn't, this isn't your thing. Right. So I don't want you <laughs> around too much. Right. Like, okay. So I have to kind of be just with the parents. I can't go hang out with the coaches. So, uh, but I'm just looking forward to being a parent, letting him have his space. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I have to ask you this because I went through something similar with my son. Uh, like, when you're watching football games as a parent, how hard is it for you to turn off the coach Shaw part as opposed to, hey, I'm going to help them out. If they just do this, we can is, – is that been a difficult challenge for you just to watch it as a spectator and a parent? You know, just watching sports with my kids, uh, gosh, you know, my daughter's 20. So since she started soccer, like second grade, right, I found a way for those two things to coexist. So they don't battle anymore, right? So the strategy side of me – Right. So looking at the overall scheme and the technique of my kids, as well as the other kids, like that's one thing. And then there's just the supportive dad. Right. I don't usually say a word during the games. I don't I just watch um, a lot of times, though, I kind of have to stand away from the, all the other parents because I don't want to hear the things that they're saying. Uh, <laughs> both, both our parents and the other parents, I just need to be like, you know, so I'll go on the field, I'll go to the side um, and I just watch. But I watch with a lot of pride. Um, whether they do well or don't do well, I'm just excited that they're competing and excited that they're active. Um, so, yeah, I, I can do both. And so for my kids now, they know if they want to be coached, they can ask me and then I'll, I'll help. Um, but the one thing they don't ask, if I see anything that has to do with my hot buttons, my the guys who've always played for me, you know, I have my hot buttons. Effort, any lack of effort, I'm coming full speed, <laughs> right? Any lack of effort, any disrespect of any player or disrespect to the game, I'm coming full speed, right? Those are my two hot buttons. Besides that, I just want to watch and enjoy and let it play out however it's going to play out. Um, but really just being a proud dad in those moments is fun for me. I love that. By the way, I, my spot is down by the fence. So it's, I want to, the stands is no go. The stands is a no go. You don't want to hear it. It's usually, it's usually your own fans. I don't want to hear what they're saying. That you got some of these parents are ripping on kids on our own team. It's uncomfortable, man. Uh, so I like to go down. If you can't get down to the field, I just go out on, on the fence kind of by myself away from everybody. So I feel that from a dad standpoint, uh, coach, what about, you know, what, what has happened for you over the last year? in this kind of transition phase that you're into now, you know, what, why did you know that was the right time to end a very successful chapter at Stanford and, and what does the future hold? Let's, let's fast forward a few months here uh, about sure. what would be an ideal situation for you going forward. It's really hard to describe. Um, even to my wife, as we're going through it, it was right around Thanksgiving and I had no anticipation of stepping down and that week hit and it was like an avalanche of thoughts in my head and it just felt like the right time, right? We were, we were you know, Stanford still is at a crossroads um, um, athletically with this new world, especially in football and men's basketball and even women's basketball and the volleyballs now are getting into it and all the, the NIL transfer portals, it's, it's, it's huge. And 
there's a lot of changes that need to have happened. You know, the, the provost just uh, said she's going to step down. So I'm like, you know what? This is like the perfect time. If I was going to leave, um, this is the perfect time, right? We had two seasons in a row that weren't up to our standard and I'm comfortable in my skin, you know, Hey, let me take those on my shoulders. Uh, that's blame me. That's fine. Throw it all on me. Not a problem. Um, I'll still point to those previous 10 years, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, this was a perfect opportunity for someone else to come in and still their program um, and, and start to build with the new way that Stanford's going to have to compete in this new world. And the more I thought about it, the phrase that really hit me was, this is not my job anymore. Mm-hmm. This felt like someone else's job. It was time for somebody else to step in and, I love my players. I love their families. And they all understood. They got it. It wasn't um, a difficult season. It wasn't that stuff. Um, I'm a football coach. I've been through the ups and downs and highs and lows. That's, that's That stuff doesn't bother me. I sleep all at night because I know that our guys give the best effort. Um, but I, I kept thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? If I was ever going to step away, this is the time. And then uh, someone randomly had hit me with a Bill Walsh quote that kicked it off also, which was, you know, 10 years, you know, 10 years is about the time. And this was year 12 for me. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling like, gosh, you know, it just feels like time. I love Stanford. I love everything about it. I love the, the people that we recruit in all the, all the sports. I love the non, non-athletes and the things they're doing at Stanford. Um, but it just felt like the right time for me to put a bow on my career there, um, lend any help and support I can uh, from afar and really look towards the next chapter, which over the next uh, few months and really starting a few months ago and shortly after I stepped down, I started my NFL preparation, um, Mm -hmm. both for the draft, uh, which was a lot of fun for the NFL network and and NFL now, which is really cool. And uh, all the different shows I was uh, some things for and uh, NFL plus was a, was a, was amazing a day one. Um, But really just preparing for the next NFL cycle. And for a lot of people, I, I used to say this all the time, like I was never trained to be, a college head coach. All my training for 10 years was to be an NFL head coach, right? That's what I was trained. So I never felt like I made the conversion. I operated and thankfully Stanford allowed me to the way that we recruited and what we did. I operated like an NFL head coach at Stanford, the way we did things, the way we practiced our schemes, they were all NFL style. Um, so now just switching now to going back to hopefully uh, the NFL world and um, doing those preparations to, uh, see if there's a fit on the on the franchise's side and on my side. You know, David, I think it's so interesting in terms of the differences between the college game and the pro game. And you said you always operated like an NFL head coach down in college. Well, now that we're preparing for life as an NFL head coach, how different is it to take what you've learned at a collegiate level and then try and apply it at the NFL level? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, Cause like I said, I don't feel like I ever completely converted. Like the biggest conversion to me, honestly, are the hashes, mm-hmm. right? It's just a different world with those white hashes. It's a different world. Um, and the NFL, as you say, we're always in the middle of the field. Um, so for me, off season study wise, we studied the NFL. I didn't study a lot of colleges. Um, we looked at some things that people did that, that were that were good. Some wide receiver screens and some some spread concepts and rush the ball concepts. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're studying the Chiefs, we're studying the Eagles, we're studying uh, whoever's doing well, who's running the ball well, who's throwing the ball well, uh, who's using their tight ends well. We did that uh, a bunch. So 
running an NFL scheme on the offensive side and then also running an NFL scheme on the defensive side, right? And our, our defense was a Vic Fangio uh, offshoot. So we would look at all the different Fangio. We looked at the 49ers. We looked at the, some of the things the Eagles were doing. Um, so for us, we were always, as a staff, we're always in the NFL mindset. And it was part of our sales pitch to, to our recruits. And um, every single year, including this year, you talk to our guys as they go through their NFL camps and they get their books. They always re- t- send me a text, say, coach, I know 80% of this playbook, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, we've got guys going to places that use um, offshoots of Bill Walsh's uh, West Coast offense. Nobody calls it that anymore. They all call it something different. It's a spread, but you look at it like, oh, my God, it's the exact same principles that I ran as a freshman uh, at Stanford. So um, uh, our schemes are very similar. And, and we, our heads have been in the NFL world for the last you know, 15, 16 years. So for me, uh, football-wise, um, it's not that much of a conversion for me. You, you brought us some interesting points, Coach. And I love that you mentioned Coach Walsh because I know what he means to you. Um, when you think about some of the things that have been in this game forever that don't change, I mean, you go with some of the core philosophies of that offense that are still obviously seen on Saturdays and Sundays every single week. But there's also change and, and there's things that, uh, you know, some advancements and some and it could be not only in scheme but also in technology what, what have you seen maybe over the last year or two or maybe even looking out into the future? Like what, what innovations are coming and, and maybe how does technology factor into to what's going on in this game? That's one of the biggest off the field battles um, for college and pro is that, especially being here in Silicon Valley, right? As a Stanford head coach, I was pitched so much stuff you can imagine. <laughs> hey coach, you can do this. Hey coach, you can do that. Right. You know, whether it's for training, whether it's for meetings, whether it's for practice, um, and a lot of times high school coaches are using more things than NFL and college coaches, high, high school coaches right now, they have those, those cameras and they're watching practice during practice, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. get through the nine on seven and during the water break, look at, Hey, let's watch it right now. So we watch it. Hey, okay. The next period, you got to change this and you get step with this. And so there's a lot of coaching going on during practice. Um, now college wise, there are a lot of rules about time that like you want to be as efficient as possible. You may not have as much time for that, but, um, you know, on game day, that's that's the biggest question on game day. How much more can we do? Can we have more video on the sidelines? Can they use video up in the booth? Right now, college, it's a no-no. Um, part of it is you have the haves and the have-nots. Um, mm-hmm. And my, my good friend, Dabble Sweeney, like five or six years ago, says, okay, if we go down this path, just remember, I'm going to outspend all of you. <laughs> so you can't put a cap on me. So as soon as you crack that door open, I'm going to put more money than anybody in college football. So that's been one of those things like, gosh, if we start allowing things to happen and Western Michigan is going against Clemson, I mean, it's not going to be fair. Not that that would be fair right now anyway, but um, so that's the idea is, is how can we start to crack that door open, especially on the college football side and keep it even. And the NFL side is okay. How do we make things better? And then how do we not create unfair advantages? You know, um, so that that's always going to be the conversation. Um, we as a, I was on the rules committee for college football forever, and we met every single where the NFL rules committee. So there was a lot of back and forth about how far can we push this envelope. Um, now, college football wise, a lot of the the stuff it's it's been um, crazy and fascinating is stealing signals. I mean, call it what it is, right? I mean, so now you've got a, the fake signals and the false signals and the sheets on the sidelines. Um, you know, because we're trying to say, okay, what are you doing? Well, okay, we're fine. What you're doing before we decide what we're doing. Um, so that's a balance in college football that is a, still a little bit in the NFL. 
Um, they've cut it down with the headpieces, you know, inside the inside the um, inside the helmets for the guys. But there's still some signaling that happens that coaches are still trying to pick up on. So there's always that gamesmanship. So how do you how do you mitigate it? Um, did you put uh, earpieces in everybody's helmets? You know, mm-hmm. that's one thing that could could stop the the ceiling signals. But then, you know, is that now going too far? So the teams did, hold up real quick. Did teams ever like crack the code of the cardboard? Uh, plays. So in other words, you've got like, we all have seen it, right? You hold up that you hold up the board and it's got four different images on it. Are the, the people really crack some of those codes with what, what people were doing? I've heard rumors that some people have cracked some people's codes. You know, I don't think you've heard like the, the seen the movie, the imitation game, uh, you know, where they, they, you know, they, they crack the code, but they can't tell the, the, the opposing side that they cracked it. So they allow some bad things to happen just because they don't want to give it away. Um, so that's it's like cheating that's, and getting a B on a test. <laughs> okay, let me get this one wrong and this one wrong just to make sure. Uh, not that I've ever done that, um, but yeah, those that's 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 part of it is that gamesmanship of like, okay, we think we know, um, but then those teams will say, okay, we're going to put up the same board, but we might have a signal that says ignore the board, or we might have a signal yeah. that says go the upper right quadrant or the or the lower left quadrant, right? So it's not just the board; it's the other signal that goes with the board. So there's, it's a lot of insanity. Some of it's fun, some of it's too far. Um, but if you can find ways to get through that, you go back to just coaching football. So that's the balance to me between you know some of it. It's it's not cheating necessarily, um, but that's a battle that hopefully once you can get through that, now they go out there just playing football. Uh, are we going to go back to just sending the wide receivers with the play in and out of the huddle like like yeah. yesteryear? Can we just go back to just shuttling the wide receivers back in with the play so we don't have to we don't have to worry know, about the signal? That was the way they used to do it. And then you know, rumor is also I heard a couple different places where the receiver would forget the second part of the play, right. or maybe put his own tag at the end of the play. <laughs> so your coach said this, but hey, don't forget about me on that post yeah, yeah, yeah. on the backside. Um, <laughs> hey, Buck, I used to have to go over to the side line when I, my, at northeast louisiana when i was playing for ed zombreaker we i used to have to shuttle as the quarterback over oh, to the but, sideline oh, and get well, me DJ, to play. With, with you DJ, got your conditioning in the yeah, DJ, if, you, oh, yeah. if, you, if you play for me oh. that's what that's what we do we're doing that down to high school you come over here every time <laughs> every time come to me so i can tell you exactly what it is and you run back so you get your conditioning your cardio your fit you're, you're all there well, well, that way, if the play if the play gets screwed up, there's only one guy to blame. Like, you know, absolutely. if they send it in with the receiver, you know, the receiver's blaming the quarterback, the quarterback's blaming the receiver, the coach doesn't know. When the coach is giving it to you directly, there's no fall guy. Yeah. No, no, no fall guy. Coach, I, I have to ask you this because your style at Stanford was so distinct, right? You guys were a power football team. You were jumbo sets. You were heavy. You came downhill at people. And that style worked for you guys forever. Uh, when you think about going somewhere else, do you think that style of football is more specific to what you had at Stanford? Or do you think that style can carry on elsewhere? Can other people take that style and say, you know what, I can play in the SEC and play this style. I can play in the Big 12 and play this style. Or do you think it's just specific to what you had based on the personnel and the kids that you were working with? I think you have to have a philosophy. and But part of your philosophy is who do we have, right? And if you don't have the guys – there's nothing worse than trying to do something that you don't have the guys to do. Um, And and to me, I I was, I'm a Bill Walsh disciple, right? I'm a John Gruden disciple. And and that's where it starts. Like you have to look at who you have. And if you, you have to cater 
uh, to what you do. Actually, um, Coach Billick used to do this with our staff in, in Baltimore. Um, he said, okay, he says, I know what you want to do, but let's put up your, your skill positions in order. Forget about not the quarterback, but the skill positions in order. And the top five guys, that's what personnel you should be in because your best players should be on the field, right? So if your top five offensive players, if, if, if two of them are receivers and two of them are tight ends, you should be a 12 personnel team because that's your best players. And so for us, for years at Stanford, obviously our tight ends were, were the best mm-hmm. in America. We are still tight end. You don't care what anybody says. Um, we're, we, have, we had that group. So to have Kobe Fleener and Zach Ertz out there and Dalton Schultz and Austin Hooper, like those are our best players to have those guys on the field over and over and over again. And then to have the runners that we had. I mean, Toby Gerhardt um, was just a beast at 1,800 yards. And then it's Stefan Taylor, who was a career-leading rusher. Uh, we had um, Tyler Gaffney, who rushed for 1,700 yards. So we had big physical NFL backs. Um, and it changed a little bit with Christian McCaffrey, um, the style that we did, but it was still the same philosophy, right? We didn't have as many great tight ends. We had some good tight ends. We're still some 12 personnel, but we had some good receivers too. So we were a little bit more 11. We spread people out. We still ran the ball physical. Um, but then, like we said, we looked at Christian. What does Christian do well? The pin and pull scheme from the Philadelphia Eagles that they ran with Shady McCoy. Um, we had never, we hadn't done much of it before. We said, oh my gosh, this is a perfect fit for Christian. So we put that in for him and we had guards that could pull and were athletic. Uh, so we had that group of guys. So, okay, you know what, let's do this. We had a Josh Garnett who ended up winning the outlet trophy, who's probably the, probably the best pulling guard I've ever been around. So now looking at your scheme, we can have the same philosophy, but now it has to look different because our players are different. Well, you mentioned C-Mac. I want to ask you about that because we had this discussion. I know you had it as well, covering the draft and being involved in the coverage. You know, you got guys like Bijan Robinson in, in, in last year's clash. Look at Jameer Gibbs. And there was, you know, we ended up with two running backs going in the first round. And I, I was kind of advocating through the process and Buck and I were having these discussions about, you know, there's kind of we almost need to give some of these guys their own designation, maybe rebrand the position a little bit, because, you know, we're not talking about two down players. We're talking about guys that can not only catch the ball to the backfield, you can put guys out in the route, you can get them out in the slot, you can split them out wide. Christian, obviously, you know, go back to when he was coming out the combine. He had the best wide receiver workout of anybody at the entire combine as a running back. So we label nickels nickels, right? We have corner pile. They used to always, when we were in the, starting in the draft a million years ago, they were all in the corner pile. Then we were able to pull the nickels out and made them their own position. Is it time, Dave, and again, you you be running an NFL team next year where there's, and not saying all the running backs, but there are those special ones that I almost feel like we need to pull them out of that position. I don't know what we call it, but we almost need to rebrand it. Yeah, um, I would just assume call it the, the C-Mac. Right. This is, this is the C-Mac. This yeah. is the guy that you can't put in a box. Right. Yeah. There are running backs. And and I agree. And I watched, of course, both of you guys all the way going through the all the draft process and your your podcast and your, your all your stuff, the NFL network and other places where I agree the, the position of running back has been devalued. It, it just has been. That's, that's just the way we're playing today. That's fine. You you need two. Right. Having one superstar ain't good enough anyway. You need to have two really good, solid backs and they can have the same style. They can have different style. Um, but there's a difference maker position like a Christian McCaffrey, like Bijan, um, like, you know, Saquads, Barkley. Right? <laughs> they're, they're not like everybody else. Right. They're, yeah, they can get you, you know, 1200 yards on the ground, but they might get you 800 yards in the air. 
um, for some of those guys, they're going to get you, they could be a Pro Bowl returner also. Um, and like you said, with Christian, Christian, Christian could be a starting wide receiver in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question about it. He's probably the best slot receiver in the league when they put him out there. You can't cover him. His short area quickness is insane. Mm-hmm. So when you have a guy like that, he's not a running back, right? He's a five-tool guy, right? He's a guy that you can place anywhere that they can't get a beat on him. The guy that lines up seven yards back there, or now everybody's in the shotgun five and a half yards back there, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 you know where he's going and he's coming out of the backfield. Okay, great. That's a position. And it's valuable, but it's not as valuable as a guy now that can line up anywhere and do anything. One of the most fun I've, I've had at practice in my 16 years at Stanford was the Christian's two years where he was the guy, he would go to one-on-ones with the wide receivers and DBs. And I think in two years, he was probably covered twice, right? I mean, he was, and, and he would get upset because he's like, the first route is always going to be a go route. Like Christian, we gotta, we gotta mix it up. He's like, no. He said, I need to get, trust me, they respect you. So I want to, I want those guys to respect me. I'm going to go the first route. I said, but now they know you're going to go. And it didn't matter. He'd still run by him. He'd jump over. The uh, so it's one of those deals to where this guy can play anything. So that, yeah, I agree. That's he's not a running back. He can affect the game in so many different ways. And any way that you can isolate him against another human being is a win for your team. That is a different position. That's what Bijan gives you. This guy can catch it out of the backfield. He can line up out there. He can go deep. I mean, how many times during the year did he go deep up the seams yeah. and just run by people and make these those difficult, awkward back shoulder catches? Um, he's not a running back. So uh, I was wondering if anybody was going to have that in them to say, we're going to make this pick because we see it that way. And I was excited that the Atlanta Falcons did that. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I want to lean on your experience with Bill Walsh because having played under Mike Holmgren, uh, Mike Holmgren always would quote Coach Walsh and everything was about what he learned from Coach Walsh. So I learned something from Coach Holmgren. I want to see if you learned this from Bill Walsh as well. He talked about practice standards and he talked about when we are operating on offense, a good practice day is when the ball does not hit the ground. The way we, it's efficient, it's effective, we're in and out. When you go back and think about your time playing for Coach Walsh and all the things that you learned, when it comes to setting high practice standards, what exactly did you learn from him? Just getting the job done wasn't good enough, right? It wasn't that the ball got completed. It was, was the ball a foot in front of the numbers or not, mm-hmm. right? Was the ball placed properly? Did the receiver have to break stride, right? Did you get 16 yards or did you get 15 and a half? And that was built like it was it was like he didn't care that the ball was completed. He didn't care that the quarterback got the ball off. If there was anybody near him, gosh, the old line coach needs to take that tackle back over there and work on his kick steps to make sure there's nobody around the quarterback. It was the desire to reach perfection. Right. And you have to have that desire. Will you ever reach perfection? Absolutely not. But it was that was the coach's job on practice to say everybody has to be perfect and. Uh, the Bill Walsh's analogies, I would still use them with our guys. And 
a lot of them, they, they know what the Bill Walsh name is kind of, but they don't really know. And you know, like Bill would talk about a symphony, right? Well, not, football coaches don't talk about that. They, they want to talk like, like it's a, you know, a car crash. Gladiators. Uh... You know, Bill was like, no, like it's, it's musical. Like it has to be a symphony. Like everything's perfectly orchestrated. Everything's smooth and efficient. And when you go back and you watch those teams, that's the way Joe Montana played. That's the way Steve Young played. That's the way Jerry Rice played. That's the way Roger Craig played. It was beautiful. It was beauty. It was, it was as rhythm. And yes, there's a violence and a physicality to it, but you watch those teams play, watch those offensive lines play with Bob McKittrick, right? And everything was just blocked perfectly. And then and the seams were there. So it was really about not just getting the job done, but how well can you get it done? Can you get to perfection? Can your hand be exactly where it's supposed to be? And, and I had one, and I still feel so bad about it because I would get so upset. Our twelve, our our out, our, our out routes were twelve yards, right? Speed cut, ball's gonna be caught at twelve yards. And I was a Z, so I was off the ball. And that was back when we actually had to be off the ball, right? Right now, you had to be clearly off the ball. And my stride was perfect for eleven yards. And yeah, Bill yeah. would be on me. It's supposed to be twelve. I'm like, I can't get to twelve. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but it was one of those things too. Like he didn't care that it was a first down. He didn't care that the ball was. Through. He didn't care that my route was was great. He's like, can we get one more yard out of your route? So I would start tried to creep up. So it was that feeling of, gosh, everything has to be perfect. And when you can find uh, a coach that believes in that and a group of players that feels that way too. And I think that's what you see in a lot of the best teams in the NFL. That's what you see in Kansas City. That's what you see in Philadelphia. You see these teams that have enough guys that they want to do it perfectly. They want to be great, and they want to be great on every single play. Coach, you, you just mentioned some so a lot of stuff I'd like to get to here. But when we look at the quarterback position under Coach Walsh, obviously nobody did it better in terms of creating an environment for these guys to flourish, not only from a scheme standpoint, a personnel standpoint, maybe even just a psychological standpoint, kind of building that cocoon where you can grow a successful, in this case, Hall of Fame quarterback. You just saw a bunch of quarterbacks go off the board in the first round. These guys are going into new situations. What what do you think is important in terms of the foundation to be put in place for these guys? Not 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 saying they're going to be Hall of Famers, Pro Bowls, or even great, just to give them a chance. What do you have to do to give these young quarterbacks a chance? So I always approach it like a coach, right? And and so for me as a coach, number one is where is this guy? Where is he mentally? Where is he physically? Where is he comp competitively? Where is he off schedule? Wise. Like, where, where is he? What can he do? What can't he do? Let's start there. And sometimes the, your answer you get to is he's just not ready, right? Mm -hmm. There's too much that he has to learn and you can't learn on the job. You learn in practice, right? So some guys just aren't ready, no matter how talented they are, no matter how good they might be down the road. You play a guy too early, you can ruin him and I can get fired, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so two things you got to worry about. So some guys aren't ready. If a guy is ready, okay, great. You start with the downside. What do we, what is too much? And, and that's what uh, John Gruden, I thought did a great job. We just, let's test these guys. Let's push these guys early and make it really, really hard for him. So we know where the line is. How much is too much? How much can we put on his plate? Okay, now we know how much we can't do to him. Now we know what we can do with him. Um, and then the second part for me, as to, to me, there's three parts. That's the first part. Where is he? What can he do? Next is the most important thing outside of that. What do we have around him, right? How's the offensive line? 
how's the defense, right? Because we've got to be able to get him the ball back, and we've got to be able to cover his 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 uh, his mistakes. He's going to throw a couple of interceptions. We got to have a defense that can protect him, get an offense line that can protect him, and we've got to have a running game. He's got to be able to depend on something else. Let's say he throws a bad ball. Okay, great. We got to get him back out, get him some cheapies, but let's run the ball. Let's get some offensive efficiency going um, outside of just counting on his arm. Uh, and then the third thing for me is, okay, what are the weapons around him? Um, who are they? What do they do well? And then meshing what they do well with what he does well. Um, Three-step, quick game, all that stuff, screens. Yeah, that's great. But we also have to throw the ball down the field in the NFL to win. So what, what routes can these guys run? Do we have a tight end that can win one-on-ones? Do we have a, a Christian McCaffrey that can make everybody's life easier? Uh, no matter what position that is, you know, do we have a Dalton Schultz that can be a great blocking tight end, but can also win inside where the quarterback needs to step up and find that guy over the ball. Um, so those are the things for me that we got to be able to protect him with the offensive line, the running game and the defense. And then what does he do? Well, mesh that with his weapons and give ourselves the best chance to be successful. But can I ask a question for you, Bucky? I'm going to, I'm going to prompt Bucky to ask the question that I, I love when he asks this question, because Long ago, he came up with this theory, which we've used a bunch on the pod, Buck, about when you have old quarterbacks, what the weapons can look like, but then maybe with young quarterbacks, what you need there, Buck. Go ahead. I just pushed you. I just wanted to push you into that. So, so Coach, I have a philosophy when you have a young quarterback, it's really important to put veteran receivers around them because the reliability and dependability in terms of route depth, knowing concepts, and those things. I think it's too hard sometimes to have a young quarterback and a young receiver core because – you got a lot of learning occurring at the same time. So in a perfect world, this kind of dovetails to what I was going to ask anyway. Team building in the National Football League, DJ and I talked about, it's probably easier to build an offensive-centric team and have a defense that maybe can play bend but don't break but get stops. As you're thinking about building the perfect team in the National Football League, do you skew towards maybe building around an offensive philosophy that we're going to be great on offense and we can be fine on defense, but we want to put our energy into building the best offense that we can build based on the way the game is played with the rules. All right, I'm going to try not to straddle the fence here. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the components all have to be there. The order with which you do them sometimes is not up to you, right? We're, imagine you're walking into a team. Where are we? Where, where's our strength? Right. You may have a strength someplace that you have to play into. You have to play into whatever strength you have and then build upon that. Um, but I'll say this. Um, what you can't do is overreach on a quarterback because you want a quarterback. If there's not one there, then you have to find the best best answer right now um, for whoever you have. Right. Overreaching on a guy and putting a guy out there and say we're going to win. You're not fooling anybody. Um, you got to be good up front on defense. You got to be good up front on defense, right? You look at Philadelphia, you look at what they're doing up there. They're, we're going to beat you up up front, right? And they're basically just adopting George's whole philosophy in defense personnel. <laughs> uh, but, but to be able to put pressure on other people's quarterback is as important as your quarterback playing well. Um, so for me, uh, there is a balance there that you have to have to, have, um, to where – You've got to be able to make some things happen on the defensive side. You've got to get those stops like you're talking about. You have to have people that win one-on-one battles um, on yeah. the defensive side. That's interesting. We, we always talk about quarterbacks and pass rushers. Like, let's just start there. Who are the contending teams? Well, let's look at who has A-level quarterbacks and A-level pass rush. Those are the Super Bowl contending teams. That's like it. To get into the party, that's what you got to have to even get to the party. 
And I'll go back to Buck's first point, which I agree 100%. Like, if you have a young quarterback, there are a lot of variables with a young quarterback because he doesn't have the experience. Now, if you've got young receivers, now you've got even more variables, right? There are a lot of things that go out there and say, okay, this is what we practice, and on game day, that's not what it looked like, <laughs> right? And where do we start? Because they're both wrong, <laughs> you know? So there's that comfort in having that veteran presence, some kind of veteran presence. Now, if you've got a special young guy, like what they had in Cincinnati, you've got a special young quarterback and a special young receiver. Now, granted, they had some experience together in, in college. That's a little bit of an exception to where, okay, these guys are exceptional, but they're still learning as they go, but they've got some, they have some really good pieces around them as well. Um, so that's a big thing for a coach. You want to have as, as few variables as possible. So sometimes the more young guys you have, offense, defense, everywhere, the more variables and the more uh, holes you're trying to plug uh, in the dam as opposed to, okay, we've got a veteran team. There are a lot of guys that we know exactly what they're going to do. They know what we're going to do. We're on the same page. Now let's plug these young guys in here in these limited roles until they earn more. And I'm big on that. Young guys earning the roles that they have. Because um, I think that's also how you get your veterans to respect you, right? We're not going to turn their careers and my career over to a young guy who's just figuring it out. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to be a veteran team. We're going to cater to our veterans' needs. This is their career, too. This is what they, they've established themselves. Let's let these young guys earn their way in there, utilize their skills and their talents. But let's make sure that, that we control the variables in a football team um, by, by keeping those young guys in the roles that they've earned. Yeah, that's one of the things we always talked about, too, when you have – Sometimes you have a, a first-year general manager, first-year head coach, first-year offensive coordinator, first-year quarterback. Like, it's hard to have all <laughs> everybody adjusting to this thing for the first time. That's what you know. We're talking about wideouts and quarterbacks, and all, I mean, man, you got to have some dudes in there that have a, a, a back of their football card track record that you can rely on. <laughs> There's no question about it. The, the veteran presence on teams, on winning teams, is always significant. It always is. They know what they're doing. They don't come in every week with a whole bunch of questions. Hey, what am I doing? What are we calling? What are we doing on third down? Okay, got it, coach. I'm here for you. You got to have the majority of your team has to be there. Um, when you're a young team, okay, great. Just know that you're, it's going to be a learning experience. You may do well. You may not do well, but those groups, that group's going to learn. Uh, the veteran teams, uh, veteran-laden teams, they win championships. Coach, I want to ask you this because we saw this happen down in Carolina where it appeared that owner David Tepper – really kind of challenged Frank Wright to put together a coaching staff that didn't feature a lot of his buddies or like-minded guys. So to take a bunch of guys who had expertise in a bunch of different areas, put them together and challenge them to figure it out to grow together. So one of the challenges of a head coach is obviously hiring coaches. How do you go about that process to say that we need enough diversity? And when I mean diverse, I mean intellectual diversity, scheme diversity in our staff to push us to be maybe something that's out of our comfort zone, but it will help us put together the best product on the field. To me, that's one of those things I love as a coach is, is your coaching staff. Um, you end up spending more time with the coaching staff than with your family during the season. Right. So for me, it's not just about the expertise. It's about the personalities. Um, we're going to be in a submarine together for six months at a time. Um, we have to be able to work together. We may not see eye to eye on everything, but we got to be able to, to work together and, and present something to the players that gives them the best chance to be successful. So for me, I always like the diversity of age and experience. We love to have young, youthful coaches, but I always want a couple of sage, older guys that have been through some of the wars, um, been through a lot of experiences. 
um, to, to add that experience to our staff, as well as our young, experienced coaches that are fired up and excitable. The having that combination, I think, is really important. Um, having varying opinions is important as well, and, and those different experiences are great. Um, but we can't have such different uh, experiences and opinions that we can't find common ground. So that's the challenge. And um, for me, like interviews, I, I love to interview um, potential, uh, potential coaches with the staff. So where there's an exchange of an idea is where are you? Here's where we are. Oh, that's a great idea. Hey, what about this? So you, you find, can we find some common ground in those conversations? Um, but uh, I, I'm not a big fan of just finding the hot receiver coach that's going to be a coordinator. Okay, let's just bring him in. There has to be some kind of a philosophical agreement. We have to be close. Even with varying experiences, we have to be close philosophy-wise because when it's all said and done, none of us are playing the game, right? We want to give the game plan to our players and have them go out there and execute. And there can't be, well, this guy says this and this guy says this, which one, what do we do? We have to be able to get on the same page um, and work with the players to help them go out there and perform and help help us win a trophy. Well, you talk about hiring staff. One of the other things we've had discussion on here before, we didn't, we don't understand. So maybe you can help us here. Why in the NFL, where you have no limits, right? You you can put as many guys in your operation as you want in terms of support staff. There's some teams, and some of them have been very successful in doing this, where offensive line, defensive line. So if you have your offensive line coach. It could be your assistant offensive line coach. It could be the third guy in the room. But there's one guy in that room that's coached the defensive line so that every single week when you're getting ready and you're game planning and opponents, they can tell you this is how they're going to attack you. This is what they do. This is what they see in our in your group on the offensive line. This is where they're going to get you. And this is where this defensive scheme, having coached in that scheme and coached that position, this is where they're vulnerable and bouncing those ideas off. And you flip it over to the other side as well. You know, you think about being in that defensive line room and having an offensive line guy and you're like, oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I know offensive line play and this left guard is a tomato can. So that's the guy that we can go at. And when I watch him, I see it differently. I see how he struggles when they're twisting from one side versus the other. He doesn't see it. It just seems like, gosh, that's such a no brainer. And there, I know some very successful teams that have done this. And I know you can go too far when you make Matt Patricia the offensive coordinator like that's. <laughs> That's a bridge too far. Uh, but I, I just don't understand when when the resources, you, there's no limits. Why would you not do that? There, so, I mean, obviously the Patriots have, have, have done extremely well on this over the years. And yeah. my first year coaching, I played wide receiver at Stanford for four years. My first year in coaching was coaching outside linebackers and strong safeties. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was invaluable. Right. Not just for me to learn, but also for me to communicate. OK, well, hey, here's here's what this scheme is. This is what they're trying to do to you when they run this curl flat. Here's what the quarterback's looking at, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I'm with you all the way there. Um, I think as long as you have someone on the staff with enough experience or the opposite side experience, it doesn't need to be in every single room. But I think a lot of times you can get just get that extra voice to say, hey, you know what? I know the scheme that they're running. Here's what gives that scheme trouble. You know, um, but you can also have it from a guy like Vic Fangio when he came to us at Stanford. Vic had such great experience. He could do it on both sides of the ball. He would come back and say, hey, you know what? This hurts this defensive scheme. This is why we stopped running it. So if you guys use this, they're going to have a tough time. (laughs) And to do it on the flip side to say, okay, hey, I know this is what we've been doing, but I've coached against this offensive scheme. 
what we've been doing is not going to work. So we're going to have to switch something up to, to account for what they do. So having enough of those experienced voices, they don't have to be completely on the opposite side, but as long as you have those voices on your staff to be able to give you those nuggets, because really we're not talking about overall scheme. We're talking about those minor things that help you convert one more third down or help you get one more pressure or help you get one more turnover. Um, that's what you're looking for. Just somebody on the on your staff to say, Ooh, I've seen this before and here's what we should do uh, to counteract it. You know, David, since we're talking about coaching, this has been a big fascination on the media side where people are looking at the hot offensive coordinator and saying he should be the next head coach. Coming from your background where you have been a head coach and you've called plays, how challenging is it for you to be the head coach of the team while also being the head of the offense? And if you could give any advice to the newbies who are doing it this year for the first time, what would you tell them? Uh, I say this is my little phrase, delegation is sanity, mm-hmm. right? What can you delegate, right? You try to do it all by yourself. It's so hard. Um, there's so many different things that you have to account for. Um, and I give Randy Hart, old defensive line coach, who's retired now, a lot of credit. Randy came to me one time um, early in my first year. And he said, by the way, as the head coach, make sure you come by the defensive meetings. Make sure you come by individual on the defensive side. Make sure every defensive player sees you outside of his drill, sees you in his room. Right. So you're not the offensive head coach. You're the whole head. You're the head coach. And that was such great advice. You know, so at that that day, I, I, I changed completely every day during individual. I would go by and I would stand by every group and I'd watch them. And I I'd contribute. Uh, much like, you know, we we're just talking before, Daniel, I'd say, hey, you know, on a defense, you're like, hey, don't forget the quarterback's looking at how you how your body is. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you need to make sure you're getting the back out of there. Right. And, you know, make sure that you you're, you're you know, whatever it is, whatever, whatever tips I can give them so they can see me as the as a head coach, because when things get difficult, they want to know that you're on your they're on your you're on their side. Right. Um, you're the whole head coach. You're not just the offensive head coach so or the defensive head coach play caller so if you are the play caller you got to have someone that you depend on someone that you can can banter with someone who can tell you hey coach be careful of that don't do that or be able to say hey you know what i need to step out because i got i got to put out a fire someplace especially on the college side i got to put out a fire hey you take this for me so for me i had i had two when i first took over and pep hamilton um, who was outstanding mm-hmm. um, who i could leave the room and and leave Andrew Luck to his capable hands, right? Because you wouldn't just turn Andrew over to anybody, although Andrew could probably handle anything. But <laughs> to be able to turn Andrew over to somebody I trust, um, that's like Mike Bloomgren, um, who was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. head coach down there at Rice right now, who's an unbelievable offensive line coach, offensive mind, uh, period. I could leave the room and say, that's going to be taken care of so I can go do something else. Or I don't have to stand there and watch the wide receiver drills, right? Because that's my passion as an old receiver. I don't have to watch that because I trust my receiver coach. I have to have somebody that's there that I can depend on and I can allocate that to so that I can go stand by the DBs. I can go watch the defensive line. I can interact with those guys so I can be seen every single day as the head coach of the entire football team. Coach, this has been so much fun, man. The, the time just flies by. We sit here and you, you look up, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we're just, I feel like we're just getting started here. We can go in so many different directions. Uh, we're not gonna keep you much longer. One, one of the things I definitely wanted to ask you about though, um, we've put one draft in the rearview mirror. So now we look out the windshield to the next one and, and know it's an early look. 
Uh, but you got a chance to see Caleb Williams up close uh, there at USC. The numbers speak for themselves. The skill set is is seems to be pretty obvious. But what was the takeaway being on the field? We always say in scouting, there's nothing like seeing a quarterback live. Um, that's a different experience than just watching the tape. What did you take away from seeing him? There's only one 10 out of 10 that I've seen, and that's Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. Um, when Trevor Lawrence came out, I thought he was the best since Andrew. Um, Caleb Williams is the best since Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not a 10, he's a nine, 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 nine. And the only thing I would say about, about Caleb is there are times where maybe he takes maybe too many chances. Um, because I say this with the quarterbacks, but all, all offensive players, like that football has everybody's face on it. The entire organization, right? That, that, that's our baby. You got to take care of that thing. Um, so I think sometimes he takes maybe too many chances, but his improvisational skills are to the level of Patrick Mahomes. Um, you, you get mesmerized watching this guy play. And I went back and watched all of the Oklahoma stuff just because right, he was new and hadn't seen him with USC, so I watched all that. And then after we played him, I still went back and watched him because I, I just I wanted to keep seeing this young man grow. <laughs> and um, special. Uh, there, there's, like I said, to me, it's Andrew one in this generation and Caleb Williams number two. And I don't know... I don't know if there's a close number three. Um, this guy's this guy's different. His wow. accuracy, his athletic ability, his strength, right? So you're going to take a guy who's got uh, Andrew Luck's accuracy, but he's got the build of the behemoth of a quarterback in Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, right? He's not going down easy, right? And, and we've played against uh, Roethlisberger all those years. Mm-hmm. Just getting a guy clean to the quarterback means nothing. Right. We got a guy coming the quarterback. Ground. Yep. And how many how many touchdowns do we watch Ben throw as he's holding off our outside <laughs> linebacker looking down the field and making the throw? Um, this guy's either going to do that or he's going to make the guy miss and he might run for 40 yards. But you had a clean guy that should have been a sack. So he can mitigate the, the, the issues with the entire offense. If you don't block well enough, he'll make guys misses, miss. But if you give him a clean pocket, he can deal from the pocket. But if you also let him run, it's not just about his speed. Like here with a Kyler Murray, this guy's got natural make you miss ability. And what I love most about him that the great ones all have, he plays the game with a sense of calm, mm-hmm. a sense of calm. He knows he's better than you, mm. right? He's going to run just fast enough that you can't catch him down the field to see if anybody's open, right? Oh, you know, he, the, I need to pause for a second. So I'm going to let you get a little bit closer to me and I'll throw it right before you get here. Right. It's just one of the, it's just, it happens every single game. So I don't have enough praise that I can give this young man. Uh, I'm not a big fan uh, of the fingernails. Um, I, don't, I don't care if anybody paints their fingernails. It's, it had nothing to do with that. You know, no. sometimes I have some, some, uh, not more than PG 13 messages on those fingernails, which I don't Utah one was the famous one that, that uh, he got a lot of blowback for. Yeah. And even on ours uh, for, for our game, you know, there's, there's a, there's some, you know, colorful language there. And I would just say like, you're, you are the quarterback of this next generation. You are the guy, be that guy, be that guy that my, my, my uh, 13 year old is going to look up to and say, man, I want to be like that guy, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and, but as far as like the on the field stuff, uh, I think he's truly, truly special. Man, I love that. Like I love to hear it. That's like lofty praise. 
all the quarterbacks you've been around for to, to talk like him in glowing light. I can't wait to really, really study him because it's one thing to do TV scouting. It's another thing to study somebody on tape. I can't wait to put him under the scope. Uh, yeah, one, of, one of the things, Coach, you talked about, like he takes chances, but he didn't turn the ball over. I think he had like yeah. I think he had what one or two interceptions during the regular season, something like that. And it, it's not like he's not taking chances. Like he puts the ball in tiny, tiny windows. Uh, it, we when Andrew used to come back and work out at Stanford, um, there's one time I went out there and we worked together, and he was doing this too. Where he's rolling out to the left, and what do you call disassociation? Where he would disassociate the top top of half of his body from the bottom half and make these these throws with his hips twisting and put the ball on the money every single time. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that takes some work, but that takes just skill. You got to have that, right? You can get better at it, but either you have yeah. it or you don't. But you put Caleb on there, and we would say to the quarterbacks, there's got to be, you got to run for a minimum three first downs a game. You got to use your legs, et cetera. Um, it's like, you know, vitamins, right? We just need them every every day, every day. <laughs> there's five a game. With there's five plays a game that other guys in college football can't make. There's five in every game that you just say, oh, my gosh, right? And so much of college football is, you know, and I, you have to throw out the receiver screens. You have to throw out the TVs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. anybody can throw those. We got to find the third and fives where you're throwing the ball between windows. We want to see those plays, the red zone plays. But for this guy, it's five times a game. If you cut those things out, at the end of the year, you're going to have 50 plays that you just say, oh, my gosh, this guy is special. I said that was the last one, but I'm, you've got me thinking for one one more here. Um, and I'm curious on this one. You said your son is going to go play for Chip. I know you and Chip have a relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see your son with a, a creative offensive mind like Chip Kelly and what he's going to be able to do with him. He's, uh, he's excellent. When you look at – we talked about Caleb Williams. I know he won't be there for when USC and UCLA join the Big Ten. But I think there's, there's the expectation – that, uh-oh, you know, UCLA, USC, they're in for it when they jump in there and they have to play Ohio State and Michigan and Wisconsin, all these teams on a yearly basis. It's a different brand of football. But in your opinion, can those two programs be successful joining that conference? I think they can be. Um, I do. I, I think there's a lot of things that have to be worked out. Um, the, the travel is going to be brutal. Um, it's just, it's it's brutal. It's brutal to say, you're going to have however many conference games and half of those conference games are going to be on the road. And mm-hmm. that's minimum two time zones away. Um, those guys coming back and having a short week and a Friday night game. I mean, it's hard to get those guys legs back. And I know chip, especially in sports science down there is outstanding, right? They're going to find mm-hmm. a way, um, but that's tough for people that are still students, right? These are still students in the NFL. Now, Hey, we got two West coast games. Yeah. Hey, let's stay, or let's stay back to back stay out there. Yeah. You know, we got, we got San Diego and we got San Francisco. Hey, or I'm sorry, LA and San Francisco. <laughs> Daniel, I know you're with me. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, just, we'll just stay on the West coast or we'll just stay on the East coast. You just can't do that with college kids. Now you have to be able to bring them back. They have to be back in their dorms. They have to be all those mm-hmm. things. So those are logistics, but I think over time they're going to compete. The big question for me is, is 10 years down the road, right? Cause this was a, this was a six year, deal they signed eight-year deal whatever it was okay. i don't remember what it yeah. was these these aren't long-term deals so are we realigning again at the end of this big 10 deal um you know the pac-12 deal when they make it are the, is it going to be a short-term deal also so mm-hmm. are we going through this again eight to ten years later where things are going to be switching again and do we go back to two big conferences do we go back to a bunch of small conferences do we go back to hey let's put it all under one umbrella like they talked about years ago and just say hey let's just 
divide it like the NBA and say, okay, we're all in one conference. We're just a bunch of different places that make it feeds now better as a, as a tournament. So uh, it's going to be fascinating. Hopefully I'll be able to watch from afar. A <laughs> safe distance from a very safe distance. <laughs> Watch all of these things, right? Because in the, in the ACCs, we all talk about that. And the Big 12, mm-hmm. are they expanding? Are they contracting? What's going on? Um, the next decade uh, is going to be fascinating because I do think eventually it's going to settle um, because with these, these, these rights are they're so big. It's, the amount of money is so massive. But streaming is taking over the world. So now eight to 10 years from now, are we paying these, are are these companies paying these big, big, big salaries and these big things? Or now does it all even out? Is it almost like a tech bubble to say, we spent a whole bunch of while ago. Now we don't have to spend as much anymore. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Well, this has been awesome, man. Dave, we appreciate your time. It's great to catch up. Um, Excited to see what the future holds. But in the meantime, I'm excited we get to have you back on here a few more times during the fall that we normally get to, man. So we appreciate you. Looking forward to it. Love you guys, man. Take care. Oh, you're the best, man. All the best to the family, man. Congrats to your son. Appreciate it. Thank you. Buck, uh, biggest takeaways there. I thought we went in a lot of different areas. I mean, that's the cool thing. When you have somebody that is like us in terms of that lives in the college space and the NFL space, it just opens up anywhere you want to go conversation-wise. No, I think the coolest thing is just to hear him take the wealth of experience that he's had collegially the NFL to put that all together and give some of these answers. But I'll be honest with you, the stuff that gets me excited is the stuff that he said about Caleb Williams, the quarterback from USC and how he just talked about, he talked about Andrew Luck and then Caleb Williams. And then for him to make the descriptive of the guy can do some of that Pat Mahomes like stuff. We've heard people try and put the Pat Mahomes comparison or tag on others. But when you watch Caleb Williams and the special stuff that he's able to do, that might be the closest comparison that you can have in terms of someone who has the ability to improvise, but plays with a calm, cool demeanor where the game doesn't appear to be too fast for him. He certainly is a special player. Yeah. I mean, shoot, he talked about where you are in Jacksonville right now and Trevor Lawrence. And we, you know, we gushed over Trevor Lawrence coming into the draft process. And I think we both agreed that he was Mm -hmm. the best one since luck. And neither one of us had a chance to really do the deep dive on Caleb Williams. That time will come. But Coach has already done it, played against him, saw him on the field and watched all their games and crossover tape there while he was at Stanford and said he would he would put him too. He would put him behind Andrew Luck. And yeah. the more significant part of it was he said it wasn't like close. a huge, huge gap. That's pretty close. That's high, high praise uh, coming from a guy like Coach Shaw. Yeah, high high praise. And so that part of it is fascinating. But then the other thing, like you have to the running back conversation or the difference maker, as he dubbed that the player that we talked about. So it was just just a fascinating conversation. He has so much uh, knowledge and expertise. I can't wait to bring him on later in the year to talk more. I mean, you know, we love studying the trends, how the game is is advancing the innovations that teams are bringing into it. Uh, I can't wait to pick his brain as he has an opportunity to sit and watch and really study without the added responsibility of being a coach himself. No doubt. Uh, Well, that was a fun one. Again, be on the lookout, more fun conversations. And again, get a chance to be a little bit creative as we get towards the off season. So we're looking forward to these conversations and these visits. I hope you guys have enjoyed hanging with us. We'll be back later this week for one more episode of Move the Sticks. We'll see you then.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.